Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Hour number two as we broadcast live in Nashville, 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Withrow has the week off, visiting family in Nebraska. He has checked in. He did make it, and he flew, Paul. He didn't make the drive. He flew. Uh, He will be back with us next week. This week, Paul and I have tons of news to discuss with the SEC. SEC Media Day is ongoing in Atlanta. Our Trey Wallace and Glenn Gilbo are there, along with Davey Hudson, making it happen for us. And our next guest, no stranger to SEC Media Days or anything Southeastern Conference related, Jim Dunaway is the co-host of Next Round Live, which you can stream live each and every morning starting at 9 a.m. Central. Dunaway uh, back on the show for the first time since Outkick the Tailgate, and it is always great to see you, man. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Who are we kidding? What what kind of airplane do you fly into Nebraska? A crop duster? I mean, how did he fly to Nebraska? Nobody flies to Nebraska. Hey, you know, the Skyriders tour uh, doesn't happen anymore, so uh, Chad decided to bring it back by going to Nebraska. I'm, I'm not. When I bring this up, Jim, I don't want to insinuate you're old by any means, but were you ever a part yes. of the Skyriders tour? And will you explain what that my, is? Uh, my first SEC media days was the first year that it stopped touring around campus to campus. I don't know how many years that is, uh, but you can tell it's a long time ago by my hairline. No offense, <laughs> Paul. Um, <laughs> I, the Skyriders tour used to get on a propellered plane and it would get all the big SEC media and fly from campus to campus. <laughs> and it was a drunk fest, poker playing um, initiation, like if you got initiated in the media, I was told stories you had to run up and down the aisle naked. Uh, it, it's like Mad Men, the old series, meeting uh, North Dallas 40, if you will, in media terms. It was insane, so bad that the SEC decided to put it in one location. You just gave me a really bad visual of like three or four media members <laughs> from that era all of a sudden. Right. Uh, Hey, uh, uh, you guys are doing great work there on site. You're doing an extra hour this week, I believe. I should mention that. Uh, So it's 9 to 2 Central. Uh, Just search out Next Round Live, and you can check out the podcast as well with with LT and uh, all all the the great stuff that Ryan Brown has as well. They'll be on later in the week, I'm sure. Um, How are things going in regards to the show, the new platform? Now, what, about a year in? And back on Radio Row there at SEC Media Days making it happen. Yeah, it's going good. You know, this was the event we started last year, sort of a soft opening. So it's going really well. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, steal Greg Sankey's thunder, but just like Outkick, we've always felt we were a super league. Nobody has to call us a super league. So, well, we're going to, we're going to take that title too. We, we, our show may only be a year uh, in the new format, but we've been doing this a long time together. So it's nothing nothing new about that and much like you know you guys we we continue to enjoy this the freedom to do it the way we want to do it and 
And uh, that's been a blessing over the last year. And I know you guys can say the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Jim Dunaway, our guest. Uh, biggest takeaway from, from Greg Sankey's availability this morning at the podium for the State of the Conference Address. Um, I love the way he um, claps back at the Big Ten. He does it in a very, um, almost like a, a, a Episcopalian pastor with a little, you know, homily to start off with this nice little tell. And then when he gets asked the point blank question, is Texas and Oklahoma a better addition than USC and UCLA? He simply says yes. And I think that's the that's the takeaway for me is that, um, you know, the SEC commissioner stood up there today and said, you know, that's a nice move, Big Ten, but our move was better than yours. Um, I don't know if that will work out in the long run. I love the USC brand. I think it's one of the best brands in sports, and I think Lincoln Riley can do a lot uh, with that brand in Southern California that could shut off some of these players that are feeding Ohio State, Alabama, and such from, from Southern California. But if you look at it as a whole, I agree with the commissioner. Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, those two parts are stronger than USC in a weakened UCLA. Also, you know, watching that this morning, I, I, I keep thinking to myself, this guy, he, he's, he's throwing out the line that, you know what, we're, we're not going to be reactionary to everything going on. We're, we're good at 16. We're excited about 2025. But I'm watching a guy that's standing there that knows exactly what he's about to do two steps before anyone else. Uh, and, and when I say anyone else, any other conference, I don't think they're stopping at 16 teams, Jim. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what you guys have discussed there on your show, but th this is a, a long way from over for, for both the SEC or the Big Ten. I don't think they'll stop at 16 either. Um, I just don't know when, you know, the next shoe will drop. And I think what we've learned is that, you know, those of us that cover the sport really don't know either. Um, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma last year, right as SEC Media Days was starting, was a big storyline. And, and not a lot of people, you know, didn't hear a whole lot of buzz leading into that. And USC, UCLA, I mean, heck, that caught the Pac-12 commissioner at a, at a ranch at the Dutton Ranch in Montana. He didn't <laughs> know it was coming. So if you can keep that kind of stuff away from, uh, from the commissioners themselves, then, uh, you know, I, I would imagine whatever happens next is going to come um, almost like the Colts packing up and leaving Baltimore back in the day in the dark of night and some moving trucks. An evolving stance on automatic qualifiers. What do you envision uh, happening here with the college football playoff and in what kind of timetable? I don't know about you, man, but I, I've always been in favor of automatic qualifiers. I, I sort of, you know, this whole four team, the four best teams, uh, you know, that's fine. If you, you know, if you trust the people who are going to tell me who the four best teams are, I like the fact that, you know, I've always loved college football as a regional sport and we're losing that. I know that, but, uh, you, you know, if, you, if I'm playing an SEC schedule and you're playing a Pac-12 schedule, I'm from the SEC. I'm always going to think my schedule is tougher. So my champion's better than your champion, but I don't know that. And the only way to know that is to have them play each other. And so I've always been in favor of, you know, your conference champion being in the playoffs. So I think eventually we get to guaranteeing a conference champion into the playoff. I hope so anyway, because that's to me the best way to tell uh, who, who a champion is to make sure the conference champions are in first. And I know I come from a state, I think, what is it, two that Alabama's won now when they haven't won the SEC? And then Georgia didn't win the SEC last year and won the national championship. I'm okay with the non-conference champions, the wild cards, if you will, being national champions. I'm very comfortable with that on my NFL 
uh, Sundays. I, why wouldn't I be okay with that on Saturday? So I'm pro uh, automatic qualifiers, and I, I sort of wish you know the commissioner of the SEC was too to let some of these others in. Jim Dunaway, if the voice sounds familiar, uh, he's the host of Next Round Live with Ryan Brown and LT, and uh, of course, uh, formerly the show formerly known as The Roundtable on the Blowtorch in Birmingham. That's Jocks FM. Uh, thank God for NIL and conference realignment and some other off-the-field storylines because as we sit here today on July 18th, we know who's winning the SEC West and the East. We know Alabama and Georgia are going to battle it out right there in Atlanta in December. If it's not... It, let me rephrase it. Do you get... do In Birmingham, in Bama, do you guys get tired of talking about the dominance of Alabama so often? Like, how do you... How do you come up with the new topic or the new branch on the tree for the dominating force that is Alabama football? I mean, we we talk about it, but you know, it ends it it ended up, it has ended up since two thousand and nine that the more they win, it's like you you say it, it's almost a given. So you end up fast forwarding through some great stuff just to get to the end of the year <laughs> and and get to the SEC championship and the playoffs and. And really, that's what a lot of this has become since uh, since Nick Saban got there. So you fast forward, you know, through through great rivalry wins like over Tennessee. That's happened, you know, more often than than it used to. Right now, it's it's just a given. You're going to be Tennessee. The it may change this year, but it's just a given. You're going to be Tennessee. Nobody enjoys that anymore. And I don't want to sound like Nick Saban on one of his rants, but you know, the the journey, the climb to the top of the mountain is is part of the fun and i think as an alabama person over the years you you've gotten to where you're just you're just assuming you're going to be in the playoffs and you don't enjoy september week one you don't enjoy week five week seven week ten the way you should enjoy every victory and i think that's been the it's impacted us on our show too we don't we don't talk as much alabama football as say we did back in the day when when uh, they were climbing to the top, when they were trying to use, man, if they could just play Tennessee, if they could just play Phil Fulmer's Tennessee team within a touchdown and have a chance to win in the fourth quarter, this could turn out to be a pretty good year for Alabama. Or if they upset Tennessee, this could be a championship team for Alabama. Now you just blow past certain games. And uh, even when you lose one, like the Texas A&M, the way it's been for Alabama, one loss, you know, it's like, oh, well, they've lost one. They can't lose again. <laughs> Because right, if they right. lose again, then they'll be out. But one loss, and nobody panics until there's one loss. Who do you think might be better this SEC season than the the majority rule thinks? Um, what do I think will be better this year? Um, better I, better I than think, expectations. Um, I think Tennessee, and I was just talking to the folks here uh, at your outkick table. And by the way, what a great display you guys have one of the primo locations here. I was just saying that, you know, last year that Alabama trip to Texas A&M sort of stuck out for me on the schedule. And and for me this year, it's Alabama, Tennessee, that sort of comes at a place in the schedule where, um, that could be a tricky game for Alabama. I think Tennessee could be, could maybe meet expectations. There's a lot of expectations for them. I'm not as high on Mississippi state and Arkansas as some people are. Um, I'm not as high on South Carolina. I really like Billy Napier. I think when it's all said and done, I think they, uh, Billy Napier in Florida could be better than a lot of people are expecting them to be. And, 
you know, another team in our state, Auburn, you know, who tried to have have a coup and get rid of their coach, Brian Harson. He comes here as really the only coach truly on a real hot seat. Um, Charles Barkley was on our show last week trying to get Auburn people to back off and give that time uh, that guy some time to work. You know, I think that team on their 22 is is okay if they get quarterback right. We say that a lot about a lot of people, but if Calzada or, or TJ Finley end up being a, a serviceable SEC quarterback, they've got a tank Bigsby and some t- talent on the defensive line and a linebacker in the secondary that maybe they could get to eight wins or nine wins. And I think that would surprise a ton of people that are projecting Auburn as a five-win team, maybe a six-win team. I, another hypothetical that I'm trying to figure out, and I like trying to read between the lines on expectation as well as Paul and, and everybody, This especially this week, it's talking, it's talking season for the SEC. Uh, what what storyline are we not talking about right now that by November we will be? And let me give two examples. The the downfall of LSU happened fast last year towards the second half of the season. Florida's another great example. Two year, we went from early in the season, Alabama and Florida had one of the games of the year to Dan Mullen not even coaching right now. Uh, that That is bizarre uh, when you think about how quickly things folded for for the Florida Gators as well. As I look around the conference, there is someone that we're assuming is very safe that is not safe whatsoever because the SEC eats their own. To, to, to Barkley's point, we don't back off. I say we, the, the football fan base, we don't back off when things go wrong for about a month, let alone a year. Um, for me, and, and I'm, I'm going to be the only guy who picks this guy, I think, um, Mike Leach Interesting. in, in Stark in Starkville is a, it's a cultural misfit. And I'm not sure Mike Leach really fits in anywhere. Um, and he, he enjoys coaching football. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but he enjoys doing a lot of other stuff and he doesn't mind admitting he enjoys doing a lot of other stuff. And you guys know how SEC fan bases um, work. I, I was with Nick Saban at an event and I knew this story way back when it happened, but his first hole in one came on a bye weekend before they were going to play LSU and his birthday fall fell, fell that weekend on a Halloween weekend. He went back to Lake Burton in Georgia, played golf with some of his dear friends. The, the kids said the weekend off, they weren't in Tuscaloosa. So he went back and, and, and played golf and had his first career hole in one. And he had to get everyone swear to secrecy, no pictures or anything, <laughs> because he's like, if Al, if I lose this game, Nick Saban, who'd already won a couple of championships. If I lose this game, they'll eat me up that I wasn't in the office preparing for LSU. Mike Leach isn't in the office a lot in Starkville. And, you know, they have that stupid rule in Mississippi. I mean, stop me when you've heard stupid rule in Mississippi (laughs) or stupid law that they can't, they only sign contracts out for four years. They were late getting him a contract extension just happened a few weeks ago. I think the team will, will Rogers and that offense. I think there's a percentage of that fan base that, Wishes their coaches work their coach worked a little harder. And then there's a little bit more of that fan base that's like, really, do we love that offense? It's fun when we win, but it looks really bad on some Saturdays or for some halves, and we have to come back from 28-3 to beat Auburn, or we're never in the game against Alabama. And I think that grows and grows if they lose some games. I could see with that that fan base, that booster group and that university could could get tired of the Mark Mike Leach show. At some point, but really, you know, there's nobody in this league, I think, is on the, the hot seat other than Brian Harson. 
But I would put Mike Leach, Eli Drinkwitz on that next level. Yeah, I was going to bring That's up Drinkwitz because I we'll we'll see him. He's up later today, or maybe he's at the podium right now. Well, he's not because I can see behind you. Uh, for those viewing us, right. uh, we're where uh, Dunaway is sitting. We've got the podium directly behind him. Um, I yeah, you know, I think Drinkwitz is interesting uh, from that regard because they've been laying the foundation with Missouri, and the question is, what is how do you define success at Missouri? in the SEC East. And SEC East that you know, spots two, three, and four are really up for grabs. I'm fascinated, Jim, to find out when the media votes on uh, preseason polls on the what the gap might be between pick two and three. Who's finishing second and third in the East? Because I think it's very difficult to pick the team uh, by a unanimous decision who would be the second-place finisher in the SEC East. And I, I agree with you on Florida. I think we're sleeping on Florida a bit. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, my my number two vote in the East will be Tennessee. Um, I was really impressed with what Josh, Josh Heupel, the way he calls ball plays. I think he does a wonderful job calling a game. Um, I, I love the quarterback in Hendon Hooker. I think they beat Pittsburgh if he starts the right quarterback in that game to start last year. And it's a, it's a tricky start to the season in September, but I like Tennessee – uh, Tennessee a lot there and you work your way down and, and Vandy's going to be dead last you know that's just a tough that's a tough gig there in Nashville and Clark Clark Lee I like what he's doing to rebuild it but they're going to be last and then after that you know I'm I'm, I'm, I'm that's where I slot Missouri and uh, you know I get told all the time you know being good in the SEC is not like a house in Tuscany you can't just slot me why, why can't I have a house in Tuscany why can't I win uh, championships but in in my mind and I think a lot of people do this there's certain slots on, on certain programs in the SEC, and Missouri is one of those that I feel like, man, if you win seven games, you should be happy. You're a Missouri fan. Now, they won't be happy with that, but, you know, an Eli Drinkwitz seven-win season this year, I think, would be meeting or exceeding my expectations for them anyway. Will Anderson should have been in New York for the Heisman finalist last year. He wasn't. Does the, does the campaign officially start tomorrow when Alabama hits Radio Row? Um, maybe, I just don't, I, you know, I, I just don't think the way we, I don't think the way we cover, cover college football or just about any sport, is it made for the defensive guy, um, to, to get there and, and win this award? He may get there. Um, and he should be there. And I think he's the best player in, in, in college football. What helps him this year is that Dallas Turner is coming into his own on the other side at linebacker. So you are going to, you're going to know where Will Anderson is and you're going to scheme to keep Will Anderson off your quarterback. Yes. Um, the problem with that is, <laughs> is now you have a guy who was recruited, who, who has some Will Anderson qualities already coming from the other side as a true sophomore. And it would not shock me. Uh, you want something we could be talking about in November, more sacks by Dallas Turner than Will Anderson. Not because one is better than the other, just because we're trying to not make this guy shut down our entire offense, leaving the back door open for this guy to come in and kick our ass. You want to shock me, it would be national football writers sucking it up and being smart enough to vote for a defensive player, even if he's the best in the country, when his quarterback very likely will be good. A uh, quarterback right. not winning that award would shock me. Yeah, but at the yeah. very least, just acknowledge him. You know, they, they, they acknowledged uh, – we had a defender in New York. It was just the wrong guy, in my opinion. It should have yeah. been Will Anderson. But, 
and and you guys know this. There there is great, you know, I, just because I you know sit beside Nick Saban a lot of, of my media jobs, uh, I understand that there is a lot of Alabama fatigue out there. Um, and Bryce won the Heisman last year. Devontae before that, there were two Heisman finalists from Alabama the year before that. There's a lot of Alabama fatigue. So you're you're you will get voters, some voters around the country, you know, fair or not fair, that are going to be like, let's let's spread this thing around a little bit. So um for both of them to get there, it would be it would be shocking to me. Will's to me the best, the best player in college football. But you go back and look at what Bryce Young did last year behind an offensive line. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think they were 110th in protection last year. And he won the Heisman Trophy. And if he if he had any eligible receivers really upright at the end, they may have beaten Georgia, too, and won a national championship. That kid was amazing last year to win the Heisman Trophy behind an offensive line that, that was middle of the pack at the SEC at best at protecting protecting him. How's the Wi-Fi there? Are you missing Hoover? <laughs> you know, we we were told it was going to be better than Hoover, and uh, it was not today. I heard what happened. It was, it, it was not today. <laughs> uh, it, it was not today. Um, but, hey, you know, uh, you live and learn, and, um, you know, this Wi-Fi world is, is uh, you know, I don't think we have it mastered yet. You know, I'm an old school Same. guy. Give me How do we not have it phone. mastered yet? Yeah, you're in Atlanta, the College Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> Unbelievable. They should master this. Uh, the SEC me, masters everything else. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I, don't, I don't know our priorities. I'm sure. I'm sure the SEC network's not losing their Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, they 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 pay a lot more money than I do. Yes. You know, we're 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 takers, man. We're takers. They they pay. We take. Yeah, you can tell by the way where the radio row guys are dressed compared to the uh, SEC network guys on set for sure. Uh, done away well, always trust well me, dressed. If, if, if I could, uh, if I could, if I could wear what Roman Harper had on and pull that off, or or Lauren Rutledge for that matter, I mean, I I would wear either one of those outfits. They they that probably is a month's salary Please for me. Don't. Either one of those. Well, either way, even if you don't want the suit, I'm sure LT can hook you up with someone who can get it for you with a discount with all his oh, connections. He's, he's the best at that. Yes. Uh, so are you, man. Thank you for the time today. Really appreciate the visit, and uh, let's catch up soon. Oh, I love love what you guys do. I appreciate it. Thank you. There's Jim Dunaway of Next Round Live. And again, uh, check out their great show. It starts at 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Just search out Next Round Live, or you can check out the podcast as well. We'll be checking in with Ryan Brown and LT, Lance Taylor, uh, throughout the week. Uh, Speaking of podcasts, uh, that SEC podcast is one that I subscribe to. I made it an appointment listening last year across the the SEC slate that we went on for Outkick the Tailgate. We have SEC Mike coming up. And he, of course, is the host of that SEC podcast. We'll dive into a lot of other SEC issues, and his vote will be different than Dunaway's for number two in the SEC East. We talk with SEC Mike next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Go 
Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Hutton with you as we continue our coverage from SEC Media Days down in Atlanta, where, I mean, it, the SEC podcast is, is definitely on site with Mike Bratton. SEC Mike is our guest at this time. Mike, good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, great to be here, Jonathan. I really appreciate it uh, just being on such an outstanding platform like Outkick. Hey, and uh, that SEC podcast is on uh, repeat for me every time we're, we would make it to drive last fall uh, across the SEC for for Outkick the Tailgate. I was tuned in to see what your thoughts were on on different matchups, simply because of this. And I think this is a good segue. You are not as high on Kentucky this year as many of the other media members that will be on Radio Row or up in, in the ballroom uh, this year. Why are you down on the Wildcats when everyone else seems to be debating whether or not they're going to be number two in the East? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the Will Levis hype. And no disrespect to him, I think he's a heck of a player. Maybe he is an elite NFL prospect. But just because, you know, there's there's media members that got you as such a, an elite NFL prospect doesn't mean you're an elite college quarterback. And I got Will Levis right now. I believe I got him as the, the number seven quarterback in the SEC. Now, it is a deep room. There, there's some star power at the quarterback position in the SEC this fall, but uh, it starts with that. Uh, it starts with Chris Rodriguez, you know, his status up in the air. We don't even know if he's going to play against Florida early in the season. They lost their three best offensive linemen. Now, I know Kentucky, what they do is they produce these linemen, but that's easier said than done when you're losing uh, two-star tackles in your center. Those, those are the three Offensive linemen, you, you at least want to lose. They go to Florida, to Tennessee, host Georgia. I think they're an underdog in all three games, and I think there's a realistic chance they drop all three. So if you're starting right out the gate with three losses, I haven't even hit South Carolina, Mississippi State, two two really good teams that come to Lexington, and then a trip down to Ole Miss. I mean, th these are all losable games for Kentucky, and uh, I just think they're going to un underperform this fall. Mike Bratton is our guest, SEC Mike, and that SEC podcast, wherever you download your audio. I want to get back to the number two team in the East uh, in just a moment. But Will Levis, I mean, what a difference a year makes. Because at this time last year, there was the hype from, you know, the, the, the Rams uh, offensive cor coordinator, quarterback coach was coming in uh, to, to build the, the, the offensive train and the hype around what the Kentucky Wildcats offense is going to look like. And I think my perception of Levis, while I, I'm still high on him, it's different now because the depth of the position across the board in the SEC is so much better due to the transfer portal and all of the movement that we've seen, even from team to team within the conference. The, the group as a whole, Mike, is a lot different than it was 12 months ago. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, again, to go back to Will Levis, this is a guy that went six weeks in a row last season without completing a ball 20 yards down the field. This is a guy that I believe led the SEC in interceptions, or at least he's got more than any quarterback returning. And he lost his star receiver, Wondell Robinson, who was a second-round pick in the NFL draft. Now they've got a, a Virginia Tech transfer, ironically named Robinson, but a, a lot of people think he'll be able to fill into that role. But I just think it's unrealistic to have him come in there and, and be uh, an NFL-caliber receiver there at Kentucky right out the gate. Josh Lee, their number two receiver, also gone to the NFL I'm just questioning the weapons also around Will Levis. So I, I don't think the offense is going to be as good. And like you said, Liam Cohen, of course, jumped to the NFL. Uh, I've, I've had Dave Bartu, CFB Matrix, on my show. He ranks the new offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello, as the SEC's number 13 offensive play caller. So you put all these pieces together. I just think it's going to be a little disappointing there in Lexington. 
So I think many will be debating this week who to have number two in the East, either Tennessee or Kentucky. Is Tennessee your number two in your poll? And how close is South Carolina? What's the gap like between two and three? Well, interestingly enough, Jonathan, you didn't even hit on the team. I've got number two this fall. I've got the Florida Gators. Okay. Number two in the East. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that if you were to put these rosters, you know, compare Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, I think you can make the case that Florida's got the best roster of all the three. Now, of course, things went off the rails there under Dan Mullen. We're bringing in Billy Napier if he can clean up the discipline. And I love Anthony Richardson. I think he's going to be the biggest breakout star in the SEC this fall. They do have to go to Tennessee, but again, that's not very daunting. I mean, I, there's not a player on Florida's roster that's lost to Tennessee. Uh, they, they host Kentucky. I think they can beat Kentucky. So I think Florida, I think they turn around. This is a team only two years removed from the SEC championship game, and they, they were the ones that gave Alabama the last time they won the national championship their toughest game. So I like Florida's roster, uh, but you know, you could talk me into Tennessee. You could talk me into Kentucky even being, you know, maybe they exceed my expectations for them. I think this is going to be a very, very competitive fall in the East. You have mentioned South Carolina. I've actually got them ahead of Kentucky, even though they go to Lexington. I know it's a daunting schedule for the Gamecocks, but I love Spencer Rattler. I think he's going to be a big time SEC quarterback this fall. They've surrounded him with weapons via the transfer portal. Uh, I think South Carolina's offense could be much improved and the defense was uh, the strength of the Gamecocks last fall. Mike Bratton is the host of that SEC podcast wherever you find your audio. Saban goes first here so I think there's a, a bit of a advantage uh, in setting the tone for whatever Jimbo Fisher will be asked later in the week but do you think we have much more to churn from that off-field rivalry this offseason this week in Atlanta? No, I just ran into Greg Sankey. I should have asked him how much uh, water he threw on that fire because, I mean, <laughs> he did a good job putting that out. And I don't think we're going to get much blowback. I, I know that they're going to be asked repeatedly about it the entire time. Like you said, unfortunately, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher not here on the same day. That would have yeah. been uh, some great entertainment. But I think the SEC was wise not to do that. I, th I think it's a story that uh, is basically put to bed until uh, this fall. I believe it's October 8th when Texas A&M goes to Alabama. And I know everybody's writing off the Aggies, but I think that should be one heck of a game. And, and once you beat Alabama, you know, you, you, you're not, you no longer fear them. And I think nine times out of 10, when a team faces Alabama, I think they're scared to death. And I, I think it shows on the field. And I don't think the Aggies are afraid of Alabama anymore. Who's your surprise team out of the West this year? Arkansas, which I don't even know if you can call that a surprise. They've been doing so well, but I've got the Razorbacks number two in the West. So I think they're going to, do a little bit more, better than uh, Texas A&M, which I'm, I'm not down on Texas A&M. I'm just, you know, I, you see top five, top 10 expectations for the Aggies. I'm not quite there. I think they're closer to the top 15 than they are top five. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I, you know, he's known as this quarterback guru. When's the last time he developed uh, an elite quarterback? Jameis Winston? Kellen Mond never took that next step. He got to work with Kellen Mond for three seasons. Uh, I just got big questions about the Aggies passing attack. They're loaded on defense, but it's a lot of that is inexperienced. So can these five-star freshmen really come in on the defensive line and dominate the SEC? I've got uh, big questions about Texas A&M, just, just about how good they're going to be this fall. Yeah, and, you know, that they're relying on the, the youth movement there. there. There's plenty of hype and expectation, and then there was whenever Jimbo took the job. But as far as the, the West is concerned, other than Alabama, uh, 
A&M has the most to lose and the hardest, I think, to gain. Uh, Arkansas and Ole Miss, Ole Miss is coming off their first 10-win season ever. We know what Arkansas just accomplished. No one expects Brian Harson to be there at this time next year at Auburn. Uh, th- there's not much for A&M to do other than maybe underwhelm us a bit uh, because of the expectation that's on that program and the money they're spending and putting behind everything in football. Uh, meanwhile, I think if Ole Miss or Arkansas takes a step back, even in the slightest, the fan base is going to look at that and point to last year and say, well, we, we had last year. Right. And I do think that uh, A&M, while they do have a ton of momentum with the recruiting and not necessarily the record last fall, but, uh, you know, they've got full faith in Jimbo Fisher there in College Station. They have got to seize on this momentum now because I'm just looking ahead. I'm not a big believer in Steve Sarkeesian. I don't even know if he's going to be the head coach at Texas uh, by the time Texas comes into the SEC, whenever that is. But if they do manage to get that thing turned around with Arch Manning, with uh, Ewers, the, the quarterback they currently got, you know, if Texas comes into the SEC with a ton of momentum, Man, good luck for Jimbo Fisher's career if he has not got A&M to that championship level by that time. So there is pressure on him. You hit on Ole Miss and LSU. Those are two potential teams that could really surprise. They're just basically the ultimate wild card is what I've been calling them all offseason with how they've attacked the transfer portal and remade their roster. And and obviously the coaching staffs, Lane Kiffin replacing all three coordinators this offseason. I just don't know what to make Ole Miss or LSU. Uh, they could be, you know, two of the better teams in the West, or they could be at the finish at the bottom of the West, and, and neither one would shock me. I think Ole Miss, Mike, is going to feel a lot like Kentucky of last year. You know, it was six and zero against six and zero when Kentucky went to Athens last year uh, and and faced off against Georgia, and that was a close game at halftime. Mm-hmm. They covered the spread back door at the end, but it really wasn't that close in the second half. Ole Miss, and I, the reason why I compare the two, and I know they won ten games last year. Their schedule is very, for lack of a better way to say this, easy. Out of, right. from, I mean, they start their first seven games. All but two are in Oxford, and they play Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Auburn. That's how they start their season. I think there's going to be a ton of hype behind Kiffin and Ole Miss, but I don't know if the talent and the team actually matches the record as we get into November. Right. So anything less than a six and one record right out the gate is going to be a major disappointment there in Oxford. But thankfully, you know, with all the moving pieces they do have, you know, they again, we don't want to call it an easy schedule. But, uh, right. you know, th- this is the favorable side of it to to mix these pieces together, see how they fit. I'm curious. Something Lane Kevin's been hitting about all off season is just the locker room and the chemistry between all these players coming together. I think Jackson Dart's going to be their starting quarterback. I'm hearing a lot of uh, Matt Corral 2.0. Now, it would be unrealistic for him to, to bring the leadership and everything that Matt Corral provided, but he's got massive talent. I love his talent. I love the running backs they got, the receivers that they've added via the transfer portal. So you put all those, again, put those pieces together. Could be a very explosive offense, but what I, I don't think enough people are talking about is losing DJ Dirk in the defensive coordinator. Because when Matt Corral got injured last fall, it was that defense for Ole Miss that really stepped up, basically carried the team the last month of the season. How does that unit respond after, uh, you know, it's bad enough losing your coordinator, but it's really bad when you lose them in the division. They lost them to Texas A&M. Are there more storylines with Alabama or Georgia this preseason? I think Georgia, because I think everybody just assumes Alabama's just going to just destroy the entire SEC. Now, I'm not of that opinion really. But uh, I think Georgia, again, 
their roster is so much better than anybody in the East. They should win it. But I think right out the gate could be a little bumpy with Oregon. I've, I've gone on record. I went on Paul Feinbaum's show. I've, I'm still getting mocked for this, but I, I'd say they lose at South Carolina. Now, that doesn't mean South Carolina is going to win the East and Georgia is going to fall apart. That's probably the only game that I've got Georgia losing this fall. But uh, I think that's a real trap game because there will be so many moving pieces. I've got Stetson Bennett. I think he, he's – I rated him as the 10th best quarterback in the SEC. So can he carry the Bulldogs to an East, to an SEC and college football playoff? I've got serious questions on whether he can do that. Uh, and they, they just lost so much elite talent to the SEC on that defensive side. Man, I, I wrote about this at OutKick, that it is crazy to me the lack of storyline and hype with Stetson Bennett right now, considering we have a quarterback returning to college football, coming off a national championship win. As a walk-on, he leaves, comes back. I mean, we all know the story. And I, I, I'm completely with you on where I would rank him in a tier of quarterbacks. But, man, the storyline itself uh, is book-worthy. But yet we kind of gloss over him yet again as we start to preview the SEC slate. Well, here's the best way to, to, to lay that out, John. I mean, when he announced he was coming back, there was a fraction of the fan base that was upset. <laughs> when in the heck is a national champion, not only any national champion quarterback, but one that just ended a 41-year drought, would people exactly. be upset that he's returning? And, and again, that's not to bash him. Like you said, he deserves a statue outside of that stadium when his career is over. I, I think he he's earned that right. I mean, he's he's gonna he never has to buy a drink down in Athens again. But everything I just said about Will Levis, about you know not having, not thinking he's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. If we could do trades in the SEC, is there any chance Mark Stoops picks up the phone, calls Kirby, and says, "Hey, I'll trade you Will Levis <laughs> for Stetson Bennett." There's no chance that would ever happen. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy, but I, I just think there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the SEC, and, and he's at the bottom of the list. Final thing for you. If there is a team that is not Alabama or Georgia back in Atlanta for the SEC championship game this year, who is it and why? I would go with uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks because I just – I love K.J. Jefferson. I think he's the legitimate – Heisman contender, everything he does. I, I like to compare him to Vince Young for that offense. They're bringing four or five back on the offensive line. They're bringing back their top three running backs. They led the SEC in rushing last year. They could be a machine on the ground. Now, they've uh, they've had to hit the transfer portal pretty heavily on that defensive side to kind of shore up some deficiencies. But I think Barry Odom is the best defensive coordinator in the SEC. They host Alabama. They don't have to go to Texas A&M. It's a neutral field. Most people have those as the top two contenders in the West. I'm not saying they're going to beat them both, but heck, if you beat one of them and, you know, in some miracle way, you, you come to Razorback Stadium, Alabama comes to town, and you pull that massive upset, you have the, the path to Atlanta right there. So I think the Arkansas Razorbacks, that's the team to, to keep your eye on. He's Mike Bratton, host of That SEC Podcast, and, and I'm a big fan of it. Highly recommend uh, downloading that wherever you find your audio uh, each and every day. They, they post quite often, and he'll have a ton of coverage from SEC Media Days in Atlanta. SEC Mike has been our guest. Mike, good to have you on the show, man. Absolutely, anytime. Stay tuned. More coming here on Outkick 360 at SEC Media Days. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sixth and Peabody, our location, our home each and every day. With Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Great to be back on this Monday edition. Jam-packed throughout the week. You don't want to miss a minute of our coverage from SEC Media Days. Trey Wallace and Glenn Gilbo on site in Atlanta. And uh, Davey Hudson, shout out, also doing a great job for us. I, I can tell you, just previewing a bit of what's to come later in the week. Former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray will be on the show. Tomorrow, Alabama. And Vanderbilt are among the teams. South Carolina is also on Radio Row tomorrow. So a lot of news and notes. Tennessee comes later in the week. And we will have Hendon Hooker on the program. Really looking forward to all of our coverage down in Atlanta SEC Media Day. So you know I usually have ridiculously large type um, for my texts, on my phone, for my writing, on my computer. Yeah. And I had to shut down my computer earlier. I was having some troubles. So uh, I shut it down and I reopened it. And usually my font in Word is set at like 14 or 16. So I had two files open, one where I had some SEC notes and one where I'm doing some writing for my site. And I reopened both the Word files and the print said it was 14, but it was tiny. I now have it set to 22, and it's still it's smaller than what you you normally see on my screen at 14 or 16. That's allegedly is this, is this 22. Apple doing another update know. and screwing up your life? Uh, or? I've avoided this update because you had such problems oh. with it. You, you went and bought a new computer. Yeah, I had to completely revamp the entire uh, operating system of my computer. The the battery was drained. The whole thing, awful. Don't do it. Don't do it. Even if you don't want to do it, they'll force you to do it overnight while you're you're sleeping. Uh, Shout out to uh, Kamar Rocker uh, for getting it done in the MLB draft yet again. Goes number three overall, and this time to Texas. The Rangers being accused of breaking the draft because there was an (laughs) obvious one, two, three. Yeah. The three guys that were going in the first three spots, and they broke from that. Um, you know, last year at this time, the conversation with what was going on with the Mets, it was just all bizarre. And, um, the way he's worked it back through the, you know, he's rehabbed and then got through the, the handful of innings that he was pitching in the minors and the independent league. Right. And then, uh, ends up in the draft and still goes number three overall tells you the type of talent that dude is because he was 10th to the Mets and now number three overall after not signing with the Mets. Now, I hope his shoulder's right. I mean, certainly yeah. the Rangers believe that it's right. Um, but there is an air of mystery about him as, as well. It'd be interesting to see. I, I want to see him throw fastballs in the major leagues for sure. Well, two years ago, there was no mystery. You know, he, know. both he and Jack Leiter, right. Or now in Texas together. They were tearing it up for Vanderbilt. Imagine having those guys, if they both pan out as to what they looked like they were going to be at Vanderbilt two years ago, being your uh, one and two starters. Any issue with Kershaw being the starter for the National League in the the All-Star game because the Dodgers are hosting the game? Uh, A little bit of sentiment. I think he's never started an All-Star game before, if I remember correctly what I read, which seems somewhat extraordinary. 
Uh, but I, I, I got to be honest, I, I'm not in following Miami. the National League that closely. Well, it's the Marlins pitcher Alcantara or Cantara, who should have been oh, who, who, by far to me undisputed starter of the of the All Star. Did he throw recently? Game. No, I mean he's going to pitch in the game. Yeah. So why did he not get it? I, I I object a little bit if he's distinctly the number one guy. Well, he's distinctly the favorite to win NL Cy Young right yeah, now. He should be starting the yeah. game. Then. Um. But I mean, with Something. LA hosting the game, yeah. I, that, my guess is that's why he gets the nod. But I could be dead wrong on that too, and, and don't know. Maybe this is uh, the Braves management saying, um, you know what? Uh, screw the Marlins. <laughs> well, it's not like they love the Dodgers either. Well, that, but that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but the Dodgers aren't throwing it. You know, they're some of their best players <laughs> when they get up to that's, bat. That's true. <laughs> um, we'll we'll talk more about uh, the All Star Game tomorrow. Uh, home run derby tonight, and I mentioned earlier you can take uh, Pete Alonso or the field in this. That's that's how dominant this dude has been at hitting baseballs out of the park. Uh, it, they'll I, they'll never admit to it. At least I don't think they would. I would love to know how what they do to the baseballs in this event compared to your average game, because they they we already know they have altered baseballs in the middle of a season uh, multiple times. We, I, there's no telling what they can do to these baseballs that leave the park. But I think if they, you know, if they cork them or whatever, there's a way to figure that out by all the guys who would be catching and shagging balls out in the field. You know how I feel like it's under pressure to these pitchers. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. got to get in a groove firing them yeah. there. And if you start to lose it a little bit, you're under a hell of a lot of pressure to find it again. Because well, this guy is dependent on you. Especially if you're Pete Alonso's yeah. pitcher. <laughs> Coming up, we're going uh, back down to the ATL. Glenn Gilbo of OutKick gives us the news and notes from Brian Kelly's media availability. Next.